The Southern U Podcast is brought to you by Darton Archery. For over 70 years, Darton Archery has been leading the way in archery innovation. With over 30 patents spanning over 60 years, it's easy to see why many archers and bow hunters have chosen to shoot a dart. Darton's patented dual sync cam system gives the archer one quarter inch draw length adjustments, adjustable holding weight options ranging from 85% to 65%, and the super easy to tune e-system for quick adjustments and perfect arrow flight. For more information or to find an authorized Darton dealer, visit dartonarchery.com. That's D-A-R-T-O-N-A-R-C-H-E-R-Y.com. Everybody, welcome to episode number two of the Southern U podcast, where we try to educate the average landowner in the Southeast. Joined by the other co-hosts here, we got Jeremy Ferguson and Howdy, the Matt ugly Brock. one. Yeah, the ugly one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started. We should have called this like two biologists and a dude or something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to break it up a little bit. Uh, today we got a very um, uh, exciting episode something that i'm looking forward to um because it is now uh, as we're getting into hunting season other parts of the country are already putting deer on the ground uh, and today we're going to be talking about early season scouting early season tactics what to look for uh, what to be mindful of all those kind of things as we get ready to uh enter into archery season so mm-hmm. uh naturally like I, you know well you'll hear us talk about a lot I'm going to let the biologist do most of the talking on this one, and I'll chime in every now and then, kind of push back and speak up for uh, for us regular folk every now and then. Well, <laughs> well that may be a real boring show because I don't do any scouting. <laughs> no Matt, scouting. Matt does all mine for me. Oh, yeah. okay. There I'll you do. go. I tell, <laughs> him, I tell him where to go. That may be why he's not very successful. Uh, I think that's a real good a real good reason that I'm not very successful. I, no. I mean, nah, I'm just kidding. Gar hole. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, uh, but no, Matt. <laughs> Matt definitely does more than than I do, but uh, that's by nature. He lives where he hunts. Yeah, I yeah. drive two hours. That's so. right. That's why I have to do some of that work for him. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you guys don't know, me and Jeremy are in Marshall County, and uh, Matt is not. No. <laughs> so if you no. know anything about Marshall County, Alabama, there's a we are in the absolute vacuum. Yes. It. It. Which yeah. it's kind of an anomaly. It's weird because. You have the state park, and then you have like Grant Mountain, which mm-hmm. are loaded, loaded. You know, lots of deer there, mm-hmm. and then you have every other square inch of this county that has nothing. In it, yeah. You know, and so uh, my dad jokes around all the time. He's like, "If you were born and raised in any other county in Alabama, there's no telling how many deer you've got on your wall right now." Yeah. But we were born here, so yeah, not me. Yeah, now it's getting better. Yeah, uh, I think so. But it's. Uh, 
It's been a slow process to, yeah. to get there. And we still don't have turkey uh, no. in, in the vast major, vast majority of the county. But uh, that's, that's primarily because of ha- habitat fragmentation. We don't we don't have a, little, a lot of big blocks of woods. Right. Uh, and I'm very fortunate. Anyway. I mean, I'm in a part of the state where I believe we're going through the population boom that the Black Belt in Alabama mm-hmm. experienced back in the 80s and 90s. So we've had we've had a large increase in wow. There Sorry. you go. Now you're fine. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, large yeah. increase in deer population through the years. And still good deer. Oh yeah, absolutely. Really good deer. Yep. No doubt. Well, guys, um, as we're talking about early season, obviously it's it's pretty warm this time of year. It's mm-hmm. always hot. You hot. know, always humid here in the south. Um, so, as you guys know, we've talked about kind of on the on the first episode, this is very southeast-centric. So, if you live in the southeast, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee, Florida, uh, those states in particular, of course, you know, it kind of expands on out to maybe Louisiana, too. Um, but, like, what are, what are you looking for with early season on the mind? You know, it's going to be warm. There's plenty of, of food to eat in terms mm-hmm. of just like natural vegetation. And there's, you know, uh, oaks that are going to be dropping, of course, and those sort of things. So, like, what what are you looking for when you're heading to the woods for opening? Uh, well, I don't know if you guys hunt opening morning or not, but uh, opening evening at least uh, here in Alabama. But what are you looking for and what should, you know, I, mean, I feel like this is kind of along the same lines uh, like we've talked about earlier of kind of the 101 content. Mm-hmm. This is early season 101, right? I mean, this is someone who's looking to get into this. Um, go, gosh, man, should I hunt a food plot if I've got access to one of those? If I'm hunting public land, you know, what are my options? What should I be looking for? So let's just start first, I guess, just with maybe like some tree identification or, you know, kind of food that comes from the trees. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And, Jeremy. And, and well, first I, I think it's going to be different depending on where you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, if you're like me, uh, one of the places I hunt, it's, it's pine plantation. Mm-hmm. It's almost all exclusively pine plantation. You have to work really hard to find a, a tree that's dropping. Acres. Yeah. So, yeah. Food plots, and, and I mean, hey, it's legal in Alabama. Corn, you know, we have a lot of a lot of deer, you know, that are not patternable coming to feeders, but you know, with the with the change in technology these days, you know, cameras, we're able to use those and determine, you know, what core areas bucks are, are using, um, you know, if that's what we're going after opening opening day but um you know i think it depends on what you're after you know how you scout honestly um you know we'll get into the 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 tree identification but um you know i I think technology has changed it so you know 20 years ago what is that picking up i don't actually i don't know sorry (laughs) Jeremy, we're in Jeremy's office, uh, uh, and his printer just decided to go berserk. Yeah, I don't know if you awesome. hear that or not, but awesome. Uh, <laughs> the the joys of 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 filming, yeah. in an office. I think it's fun. Um, the way I look at early season scouting is eleven months out of the year or longer, 
a deer is enslaved to its stomach. So they're going to, they're going to be hitting food sources. Mm -hmm. And like you were stating, it's still warm in the Southern States. Call it what it is. It's hot. It's hot. As a matter of fact, it's hot as you know where. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to touch on that in just a minute too. Um, Please don't, don't touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's steer clear. All right. So, um, what I'm primarily looking for is species of trees that are dropping acorns or soft mass that are preferred because there's so much food available. Mm-hmm. I want to go for the species that they're most likely to come to. So I want to stop you right there for just a second, Matt. So just to be clear, you're saying that while there are many trees that drop, mm-hmm. deer actually prefer one over the other. Absolutely. Okay. So big, I mean, just, and a big difference in those. Yeah. So Absolutely. how they rank. I think that that's, I mean, if you're a new guy trying to get into this, I think that's a huge, man, it's a very valuable piece of information to have, not yeah. just can I find a tree that's dropping, can I find mm-hmm. one that they prefer. You know? Yeah. And you and I saw a perfect example <laughs> when we visited Ernie, yeah, you know, with, right. with Tethered, is, uh, you know, on his farm, you know, we're walking around close canopy, hardwood forest that had been logged years ago. Um, and what species did they select for when they were logging? oaks mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah, right. there wasn't many 95 <laughs> percent of the oaks have been removed from that piece of property mm-hmm. years ago and, and they because they are slow to come back uh, especially in a closed canopy situation if it had been open enough then they would have pioneered back and there'd be some there uh, but because it was still relatively close canopy they haven't really come back so we found some old trees and uh, i mean if I could pick one out of all the oak species that I'm going to hunt when it's dropping, it's the chinkapin, uh, mm-hmm. especially, you know, where you find them, not mm-hmm. the dwarf chinkapin, yeah. but the, they're, the, they're know, not the, everywhere. Uh, the large chinkapin. And, and we walked across through right. there and there's two monsters right beside a red oak. And I'm like, uh, no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. If, if this tree's dropping, I'm sitting here until I get tired of killing deer. Right. Yeah. Which now, and I, I know I'm going to, I'm starting and stopping a lot, but, for those that don't know, like you guys are throwing around terminology like closed canopy. When you say that, what do you mean when you say closed canopy it, uh, environment? The timber stand where there's very little sunlight reaching the forest floor. Because uh, of other trees. Because of other yes, trees. It's basically the yep. southern climax forest. When the yep. canopy okay. has crowded out the sunlight, can't reach the ground, well, yep. what do plants on the ground need to grow? they got to have sunlight. Gotcha. So, so, you know, that it, it that impacts everything we do here. Mm-hmm. Uh Closed canopy forest is beautiful. People like the look of it. They like hunting it. But, you know, three quarters of the year, honestly, it's useless to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's dropping hard mast or soft mast in the fall months, it's it's great. You know, it, it's fun to hunt. But summertime is providing little or nothing maybe other than some thermal, thermal change, um, you know, some protective thermal uh, habitat that keeps keeps deer cool or other species cool because they obviously get in the shade. Um, but as far as food goes, you know, Matt mentioned that there's deer are slaves to their stomach, and, and so are any other animal. You know, they're they're looking for food every minute they're awake. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. uh, there's just not a lot of it there. Uh, th- that's why you're up here. We keep referencing Marshall County. We primarily in this county especially toward the north end, are closed canopy hardwoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, we're, we're at the tip of the Appalachian Trail on the Cumberland Plateau. And what's not is cattle pasture. 
Yeah, it's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, don't beat on us, man. I'm not I'm just saying, if you go from pasture land to closed canopy forest, there's not a lot there for wildlife. No. That, that's right. That's right. And I'm a perfect example. I mean, I'm a cattle farmer, so I've got pasture. You're part of the problem, Jerry. And I've got, part of the problem. And I've got closed canopy hardwood, so there's a reason I don't have a lot of deer. Um, but, you know, in areas that, that you're wanting to promote the growth of the population, you know, logging is a requirement i know we're getting way off topic yeah here, but no but okay. from the closed canopy side of things mm-hmm. uh if you're wanting to increase populations and increase food and increase bedding logging is a requirement mm-hmm. at some point point. Gotcha. And, and and pine timber and hardwoods they have a lifespan people want to treat them like they live forever well got news for you they don't mm-hmm. especially pine timber i mean do we come across 250 year old oaks absolutely but most of the time, they're not lasting that long either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either by by death or by design. That, <laughs> they're just not it. there. That's, yeah. that's right. Gotcha. But, but yeah, I mean, Matt was hammering home the the oaks and, and some of those species, and, and and I agree. You know, that's that's what I'm. That's what my go to in in October, early to mid November, which you know our our rut is not like the Midwest. No, you know, around no. Halloween, the Midwest is gearing up for rut hunts. Oh yeah, and sure. We're not even thinking about that. So uh, I'm looking for primarily uh, two white oak species, three if you include the chinkapin, mm. uh, but just the regular white oak, mm. Quercus alba. Um, one of the most preferred acorns, and they're readily available. They're easy to find. Um, what I do, I ride around or walk around, and I carry binoculars with me. And I'm looking to see which trees are dropping. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're listening to this and you're you know new to it, you're saying like I'm not waiting to see if something's dropping on the ground yet. I'm Mm-mm. gonna look up and see if I can We're find clusters find first. I, I do that in September, yeah. late August to gotcha. to early okay. September. You can see acorn clusters in the canopy. And, and while he's saying all this, I, I just want to interject a little bit. If you're not from Fett, Alabama, <laughs> the word he's saying is acorn. The, no. the, the acorn it's acorn uh, yeah and I, what did, how did I, what did i say acorn acorn yeah uh, that's what it is that's what we say yeah, yeah. Oh, but if you're in the midwest it's an acorn i've never okay, heard of an that's acorn what we're looking for an a- southern you we call them acorns an, 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 a- an acorn is acorn kernel yeah. acorn kernel <laughs> that's right okay i'm talking about acorns yeah. all right so well I, I, he he threw a you know a cuss word at me a minute ago i didn't know what he, Which what one? he called us I, I, something alba i don't know I was like, yeah. what, what you just called me quercus alba quercus alba yeah and hey that that that's a side tangent but if you're new to this there are a lot of resources other than than coming on podcast get books get stuff you can put in your hand i mean right here i've got the forest plants of the southeast i've had that since i was in college it is awesome Mm -hmm. there's a great resource there's a lot of tree identification books that that are jh miller and kv miller yeah Yeah, and we'll highlight uh, we need to highlight some of these books one day. We, we will. We'll talk about a lot of these. Um, this this book used to stay in my truck and, and did for years because I we when we were at the state we'd actually have a little plant quiz uh, text message thread. So when we mm-hmm. find something that we didn't necessarily know or we knew was fairly rare, we'd take a picture of it and we'd send it out to our staff. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, just to try to you know firm up their knowledge of. Mm-hmm. of plants that that uh that they didn't know uh, Matt yep. was really good at it i came across some of the odd stuff uh 
I generally did all right. We had a couple guys that really knew mm-hmm. their stuff. It's cool. uh, impressive that they remembered that much from that long ago. <laughs> oh, right. <yeah. laughs> That's cool. You know, yeah. if you don't, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're t- we've been talking about Oaks and now before we get off of that, uh, and I know that there may be people listening to this that aren't watching it uh, uh, or anything, but what's a good descriptor? Like, how are you narrowing down? This is a red red oak versus a white oak okay. versus a chinkapin versus right. a whatever. So, what's so, the things to look for there? So, we have two families of oaks. You have white oak and you have red oak. The water and willow oak fall into the red oak category. Okay. Gotcha. So, you've got white oak and basically everything else. Um, within white oak, you've got your um, white oak, Quercus alba, and you have the there it is again. Yeah, <laughs> swamp chestnut oak. Which, by the way, if you're in bottomland hardwood ground. It's awesome. If you have swamp chestnut oaks and you know what they are, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you those descriptors in just a minute, um, that's where you need to be. Don't gotcha. worry about hunting anywhere else until there are no more acorns on the ground. Yep. And wear a hat. Because <laughs> they'll knock you out. Because they, they are giant. They're that big around. They're yeah. giant acorns. <laughs> yes. And they hurt when they hit you. In the they head. do. They do. <laughs> so wear, wear a hard hat to the stand. <laughs> so the, the white oak, the chinkapin, and the swamp chestnut all have very similar bark it's flaky white grayish mm-hmm. white flaky um they all have a lobed leaf it's not it doesn't come to an apex or a point gotcha. and that, that's a descriptor of a red oak species mm-hmm. okay so the white oak family they're going to have lobes um the the bark of the chestnut oak which a lot of people in alabama call mountain oaks yeah they're very rigid a rock chestnut. yes yeah rock chestnut they have very deep furrows in the bark they're not flaky at all um Oddly enough, it's the one oak in the white oak family that deer do not prefer. And the reason why, and I'm not going to get all scientific here, um, they have a very high tannic acid content. Mm-hmm. And right. it, it's bitter, very yeah, bitter was, to yeah. the taste. I was going to say, like, and now correct me if I'm wrong, but its function within the acorn itself is just mainly that it's a preservative. Like it keeps it from going rotten before it can like germinate. Is that correct? Or is that like kind of a stretch? I've heard similar, but yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you've got several different grains. Uh, sorghum is another one of them. Mm-hmm. Millet, they have high tannic acid content. And that's why deer don't normally touch the, the seed heads until after a frost. It converts those tannic acids to sugar. Oh, and okay. I, gotcha. and, yeah, and I'm not a, I'm not a plant guru, I'm, I'm so not I'm, either. I'm, I don't want to step out of my bounds, but uh, I believe I was told by a crop guy that, that the, tannins in the the plants actually helped ensure the reproduction of the plant too mm-hmm. yeah so i got um, but yeah there's a it's strange you'll you'll see some folks will argue with you that deer just absolutely love uh mountain oaks I'm, I'm, chuck brock yeah <laughs> Matt's dad. my dad he'll hunt over them yep and yep and, and hey you know oaks hybridize too so and we've got Proof we, of that. We've yeah. got we got a Brock oak. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brock oak. But you'll you'll see some oaks that just don't fit, mm-hmm. um, and, and they do hybridize. So occasionally you're going to run across one that just don't look like anything else, and gotcha. that could be what it is. Right. Uh, you know, the the quote unquote Brock oak is a is a perfect example. I mean, we we've sent it off, and nobody really knows exactly. Yeah, it is an uh, it, it's a. Uh, not a described species yeah really yeah that's, mm-hmm. that's wild and there's one of them yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um and so it, can, it produces big acorn white oak acorns uh-huh 
Uh, it looks like to the eye a hybrid between a white oak and a swamp chestnut or a white oak and a chestnut oak, mm-hmm. if I had to describe it. But um, So the real question is, have you killed anything? No, Dad does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. So anyway, you've got the white oak family. Um, other with, with the exception of the chestnut oak, mm-hmm. those three are going to be my preferred if they're available. So as I'm walking through the woods, driving through the woods on my UTV in September, late August, I'm looking. Um, one, I got to identify the tree. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for white oak bark, and I go straight to the canopy with my binoculars and I look for acorns. And I already know because I'm hunting familiar ground. I know which trees have had a history of of high production. And that's that. That's something I want to just note on. It, you know, if you're new to this, take notes. Yes, take, take notes, notes of what trees are producing heavily when they produce. Because I'll let Matt talk further on it. Some species they will reproduce annually given proper circumstances and weather. Uh, some are not. You know, mm-hmm. some will be every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you'll hear so, people talk about, man, we had a terrible acorn crop this year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So food plots were just getting hammered because there was no, right. you know, or whatever. And so, so you're saying there is like some legitimacy to that. Like Absolutely. Sometimes yes. they produce in abundance. Sometimes yes. they produce almost nothing. Yeah. Yes. De- depending on what species uh, your forest is comprised of. And what kind of weather you've had? Absolutely, spring weather has a lot to do with yep. that. Late, late frost has a has a big mm-hmm. impact. On but, it. And so I'm, I mean, I imagine too, water, you know, too. Yeah, water access. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but probably about at this point, probably ten years ago or so, when we had like almost seventy consecutive. It was like seventy-two oh, was or two thousand sixteen. Yeah, the cons- consecutive <laughs> days of zero rain, like yep. no drain whatsoever. Yeah, um, I mean it. That particular season, it completely changed how I hunted. Like because mm-hmm. I, yep. I mean, you just can't do what you normally do nope. because there's no food. So nope. you got to sort of back up and punt. Yeah, there was no vegetation and there were no acorns. Right, right. it was crazy, man. Mm-hmm. It was a. I mean, you're hunting a dust bowl. Yep. You know, it was yep. a, that that was hard. It was, it was. on our deer, mm-hmm. um, and that'll stress deer for for months. More, yeah, more that that can carry over to the next year. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. cool. So that kind of covers, like, I guess, like oak species and that sort of thing. Um, what about yeah. other kind of native browse i mean you're talking about like sending out text to hey what is this you know see if you can yep. i did it i did that to you guys mm-hmm. uh, just a couple <laughs> days ago uh found something in the woods i said i don't know what this is but it's not a muscadine it's not a grape it looks similar but it's a lot more firm mm-hmm. and, and uh i i just like i don't know wild plum maybe i don't yep. know i mm-hmm. sent it to y- you guys and, yeah it's plum yeah, yeah. Good eat it yeah yep. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> eat it spit out the seed yep yeah. And yep. uh, so I, of course, I had to try it. Couldn't stand it. And uh, how you know, was what? it? Not bad. At yeah, all. they're not I mean, bad. No, mm-hmm. not bad at all. Now a persimmon will. Oh, you'll it, pucker it, up. It, yeah. Yeah. It'll, <laughs> it'll suck all the moisture out of your. Yeah. And speaking head. of persimmon, that's probably my second most preferred mass producer to hit in October. Mm-hmm. If you still have some that are holding on, a lot of our persimmon around here will drop in September. Early, yeah. 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 So I've seen some hold all the way till January. Really? We, yes. Yes. We, yes. Where where I grew up hunting in Southern Tennessee. They held, I don't know what it was, you know, I don't know if it was just, you know, a localized population that held that long, but they they would hold up, and our season ended 1st of January mm-hmm. back then, and I think it ends pretty close to that now, but they would hold to the end of season. God, I mean, crazy. I was shooting yeah. deer off of uh, persimmons December break when I was a kid. That is yeah. Christmas nuts, break. Man. There's a persimmon tree 
at the corner of the Black Warrior Wildlife Management Area headquarters. And it's probably this big around. It's a big persimmon, probably 55, 60 feet tall. And it will hold until February. That is nuts. Yeah, I mean, it will have persimmons all winter long. And now, if you're not familiar, I know this is kind of getting a little redundant, but like a persimmon, as far as the fruit itself, uh, if you're not familiar with them, they're, I don't know, a little smaller than about a golf ball, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. And Look for the tiny pumpkins. Yeah, yeah, that's it. They're, they're really small. They're orange. And, uh, uh, I, you know, technically speaking, like humans can eat them, I guess, if they're ripe and that sort of thing. But they yeah. are quite... Uh, they will make your mouth pucker yes. up. Like you said, it'll snatch yep. all the moisture out the of your mouth. The flesh is great, but I'm, I'm telling you, the, the skin is awful. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't yeah. bite through that skin. I don't know how deer eat them, but they And we, them. you know, we're, we're, this is obviously new for us. We'll try to put up photos, stick them in. Yeah, sure. And all oh, yeah. This so that we can, we can cover this so folks can yeah. see. Yeah. So you, you got white oak, you got persimmon, um, you know, and, and don't overlook red oaks. No. Do not overlook red oaks, especially if you have a shortage of white oaks in any given year. Yeah. Um, I've killed a lot of deer on red oaks. Actually, there's a red oak that, you know, I was just talking about, or Jeremy brought up taking notes mm-hmm. and like, there's a few properties I don't have to scout. I just go in and if there's acorns there, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's one tree that I killed seven deer out of in one season with a bow. Wow. Um, it's a big red oak guys, a huge canopy. It puts on a ton of acorns mm-hmm. and when it's dropping, that's where I'm going to be. Yeah. And, and a lot of, a lot of, times you know all you guys that are hunting leased land mm-hmm. timber pine timber land you're not going to find a lot of oaks unless they're in the smz's and you know even then a lot of those have been what's an smz streamside management zone thank sorry you. thank you yeah the, you for know, us the, lay people the, the, explain the, <laughs> the area along the creek or the drainages that the timber companies have left uh to at least help slow down erosion okay um but you know you can selectively thin as a, you know, from a ethical and legal perspective, you can selectively thin uh, through SMZs all you want. Um, so a lot of those oak trees that are, you know, high quality timber products, mm-hmm. generally speaking, as long as, you know, you've got a, a good log or, or, or whatnot, not hollow, uh, they may have been selected out, but you find a lot of water oaks mm-hmm. and, if that's all you've got, hunt them. They are dynamite. Yes, yes they are. And they produce a million acorns. They're tiny. <laughs> yeah, all about they're, that time. Yeah, yep. they're all the size of the end of your little finger, and there's a million of them. Yep. And deer will just stand under them and just vacuum them up. They yeah. will. Because um, there's, no, there's nothing else like it for them. Then the water oak and willow oak both hold their acorns well Long into the winter. Time. So yeah. you've got something that you can hunt through the mm-hmm. perhaps the length of the whole season. Yep. Yeah, I got my dad and I uh, for several years in a row in uh, just below Selma. There's a place called Alabama River Lodge, and they would put on this kind of like a bow hunting tournament type thing. It was like a two-person team. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would get down there and like draw randomly four sections of property and get up the next morning. You have until noon to scout, and then starting at noon, you can actually hunt. and. Mm-hmm. And so it was all done by weight. So like, you know, if the heaviest doe or the heaviest buck or the heaviest combined weight for the weekend, all this kind of stuff would go into declaring a winner and getting prize money and all this kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Um, but you're talking about water oaks and just how there's a million of them and Daryl just kind of just sit there and gorge themselves on. Mm-hmm. We screwed up on that one year. 
because uh, the section of property we drew, we tried to scout as much as we could in that short time frame. We basically got about six hours from from daylight until noon to figure out where you want to hunt and if you're hanging stands or if you're prepping trees or whatever you're you know going to do, you got to do it in that time and then hunt. And we found right on the edge of a field, edge of a food plot that wasn't planted. It was just kind of grown up, but the very edge of it was just absolutely, I mean, you know, deer had just annihilated the water mm-hmm. oaks right there, mm-hmm. but there was no real trees to get in as far in terms of like, you, you just couldn't hunt from elevation anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so instead of still trying to hunt it somehow, even hunting it from the ground or Find something, a way. it was like, yep. ah, let's just go somewhere else. And we screwed up. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it, it cost us. And yep. now, you know, knowing what I know now, it's like, I'll, 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 I'll sit on the ground and hunt if I had Absolutely. to, because that's where they are. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt about it. Well, and you know, that's very applicable to all these guys who are leasing timber company properties that are 90% or more pine plantation. Mm-hmm. You may not have very many oaks on your place. But find I, sure, them. I don't. Yeah, find them because I promise you, when they're dropping acorns, it's going to be a place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a similar uh, scenario that you know, you're talking about. Hey, these deer don't like mountain oaks, and that's what I've heard all my life. You mm-hmm. see an acorn that's bigger than your thumb, just get away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, but this particular micro micro property, it's like you know, very small. <laughs> and uh, anyways, last year. Uh, I actually shot a deer and was trailing it. And in the process of trailing that deer, stumbled across like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this much sign in one place in my life. And they were wearing those mountain oaks out. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I thought they don't eat these. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought they don't like them. And so yeah. anyways, the I'd, I'd put a camera out and got multiple bucks in the same frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunate reality of that particular place was there was only – access there's one way in one way out yeah and i tried to get there as early as i possibly could get about 50 yards from the tree that i wanted to climb and blew them out yeah yeah you know and it's just like but they were there you mm-hmm. know what i mean and, and that's you know it's like kind of the old saying is you you hunt where the sign is right, that's right. you know what i mean yeah and there's <laughs> you know it there's two i guess ways to look at that and i i'm not trying to chase too many rabbits here but i'm gonna chase this one um, when you're hunting early season food sources, you're going to bust deer. Absolutely. Because Nothing you, you can do about yeah, it. Yeah, you can't yeah. get in there and hunt it in the morning without deer already being there, and you can't climb down and leave in the evening without busting deer. Mm-hmm. You can do that with a rifle because you can back off far enough that you're not impacting That's right. the deer, but with a bow in hand, if you're trying to kill them on the food source, you've got to bust I've them. I've never mm-hmm. thought about it before. That's a lot of truth in that. And, well, and, and it also it affects your success. Mm-hmm. because after you do that two or three times, guess what? You're going to start seeing fewer and fewer deer if you see any at all mm-hmm. during daylight hours. Um, so, you know, a lot of times what I'll do, rather than going in to a, a hot oak tree that's dropping acorns 30 minutes before daylight, I'll wait till it's first light where I can see. And if there's deer feeding when I'm walking in, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to approach that stand when the wind is in my face. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take my time and I'm going to look and hope that I don't get caught and see if there's deer on the food source. Yeah. If there's not, I'm going to go on and get, you know, in my mm-hmm. stand. If there is, I may just sit tight for a few minutes and let them feed, do their thing, and, and ease yeah. off. Which, I mean, and, and it still may not work. It may not That's work. Right. You know what it I mean? May, and, you know, hey, the other side of it, bust through there before daylight, run them all off, hope climb they, the tree. Hope and, they come back. I mean, you know, some yeah. deer are going to come back. Yeah. Hey, and there you can 
you can come up with unique ways to solve that. Oh, I mean, yeah. I've called Matt's dad a time or two and said, hey, you home from work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you got? I'm like, hey, drive into this field. Yeah. And let me let oh, yeah. me get set up. Let me get out. Yes, I'm, I'm sitting in a stand, yeah. and there's eight deer in the field, and yeah. I don't want to bust them. Just drive. You know, up my in here. my yeah. target buck is here. He's out of range. He's not going to make it here. I'm not getting down. Mm-hmm. Just just drive in here. Make something unnatural. Mm-hmm. Push them out, and they, you know, everybody or a lot of people say pressure is pressure. Well, not, not entirely. Mm-mm. Hunting pressure is 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 perceived differently, differently. than you know any other kind of uh deer can be conditioned to be fearful of certain things in the woods and not Mm -hmm. others and for some reason or another vehicles tractors that kind of thing they're they're habituated to that they they see that kind of activity Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if you're on an an operational farm you know they're used to seeing trucks um and well i've got some interesting stories on that that we'll cover a little later time yeah can't do it right now sure but um you know, those early season food sources are great. Um, you know, the we've covered the white oaks, the persimmons. Uh, the red oaks typically are going to have a darker bark. It's going to mm-hmm. be kind of rigid. Uh, it's not flaky. Um, depending on the species, you're looking at southern red, northern red, shumard, cherry bark. Um, you know, there's several other species. But what I typically... There's a lot of species. There's a lot of species of red oak. Um, but the ones that I focus on typically are either going to be northern or southern red. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Shumard oak, or not shumard, cherry bark is going to be more common in the bottom ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I hunt a lot of upland ground. I don't, I don't hunt bottoms very much. Gotcha. Cool. Now, rank them. Rank them how you would hunt them. How I would hunt them. If I had, if I had white oaks, red oaks, and water oaks all dropping on the same property, I'm hitting the white oaks first, always. Um. Typically, they drop in October, November, and they're kind of done. Pretty you know, early. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't. They don't normally carry over into December. Uh, your red oaks are still dropping in early December. Hit those second, and then hit those water oaks later in the year. Now, if you don't have white oak and you don't have red oak, and water oak is dropping, hunt it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, there's been a lot of deer killed on water oaks. Yeah, for sure. They put out a lot of acorns. Yeah. We're, we're a little different here. Uh, mm-hmm. On this side of the state, we do have large chinkapins. Yeah, and see, we don't. We don't have those where I'm at. So, you know, I, I tell people when, I, when I'm when i kind of explaining in layman's terms, you know, out with a landowner that doesn't really know anything, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, look, you sit down and you're eating at a fine restaurant. The, <laughs> oh, uh, <yeah. laughs> the, the white oak is your steak, the red oak is your potato, but by gosh, the ice cream at the end, that's mm-hmm. your chinka pan. So, <laughs> yeah, so right. how many of us don't want to go straight for the ice cream? You know, yeah. so I, anytime I can find a chink, I'm I'm sitting. And I have found one chinka pan oak in Fett County. Really? One. <laughs> I know exactly where it's at. I can't hunt it, but he's I know where it is. Like, he's saying that like we should feel sorry for him. Well, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> Feel sorry for the guy that's got a dozen Pope and Young deer on the wall. That's not from, true. From Alabama, that's not true. <laughs> that's funny. Well, so that's kind of food sources. Let's kind of move on to um, like maybe terrain features because, mm-hmm. again, in the southeast, you kind of have 
a large gamut of terrain, even in just in the state of Alabama, for example. I mean, where we're at here, you know, it's and, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you have a very diverse state. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, like in Marshall County here, or even farther north, you're at, like you said earlier, tail end of the Appalachian Trail, and you've got you know the Cumberland Plateau. So mm-hmm. you've got mountainous, and I do mm-hmm. mean mountainous. That's not a like, it's not a joke. You know what I mean? Right. You have some very steep, and uh, have a guy. Uh, my pastor affectionately refers to that kind of stuff as Billy Goat Land because yeah. it's just straight up, straight down. Yep. You know, it is. And uh, so you have to, you've got those kind of terrain features, and then a couple hundred miles to the south, you get the mid region, you know, middle of the state. Things start to flatten out some, and then as you get to the lower third, it's flat as a pancake. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looks like and the Midwest. Yeah, just no crops. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just all all pines. So you know, how does that? How does that factor in? How does that play in when you're trying to hunt southeastern whitetail in early mm-hmm. season? What you know, we've covered food, but what are you looking for terrain wise? Well, can we back up just for a second? Yeah, because sure. I wanted to touch base on one thing. Um, I don't typically worry about going hunting in the early season until the first cold front. Really? Like, I, yeah, I will probably go October the 14th this year, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not going to be very excited about it. Because I know what deer do when the temperature drops 25 degrees in October. Yeah. And it's stupid. Yeah. It is absolutely mm-hmm. stupid. So, you know, just because you've located a good food source does not mean that you need to run in there at your first opportunity. If you have the option of picking your day, hmm. wait until that first cold front. And that's that's hard in a, a club setting. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're a little different. Matt and I hunt together with one other guy, and then we both have some properties that we hunt by ourselves so we can make those decisions um that is the hardest thing i think about hunting in the southeast um the way most people have to hunt you know it's leased land there's a lot of guys on the landscape from a a, a man per acre you may be running a guy per 50 acres or more yeah and see that's That's unbelievable yeah (laughs) um you know and i've i've been in clubs like that and i got out of all of them um I mean, I'm on a. I'm going to hurt some feelings because there's some really good clubs that that maybe run this way, but if you're in a club that's run by a board or a group of members, mm-hmm. go. I'm I'm out. If I find yep. if I find a club that that's that way, that's great uh, as far as killing quality deer, and I find out it's run by a group of members, I'm not even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And if you do some research, more than likely there's a very small group of guys killing those really good deer you're in you're out Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that's controlling Mm -hmm. things if you want a successful hunting club and you want to be happy get in one that's a dictatorship yep yeah which now you know this is kind of a sidebar too but not uh picking on ernie uh power from tethered on this but uh we went on a hog hunt a couple years ago and i i just didn't realize i guess that when the term hunting club Mm -hmm. like having multiple multiple people you may have a hundred people that are in on this lease you know what i mean and anyway well i just kind of i kept referring to that just the whole weekend we were down there and he was just like like i I don't i don't know what that is yeah what Mm -hmm. what do you when you say hunting club what are you talking about and i just i guess i didn't realize that that type thing is more southeast it century. Is very like, like, you know, in the it Midwest, is. people don't do that. It's like uh-huh. one guy leases a farm mm-hmm. and he's who hunts it. Nobody else has a say so. Mm-hmm. And yep. down here, it's like you have these gigantic tracts of, of timber 
you know, pine plantation, there whatever. Might be hundreds. Yes, yes. you could literally have a hundred members, you know, that are making this lease happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I guess, I was, you know, just naive and didn't didn't know that's not how the rest of the country operates. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. kind it's of very, very southeast to the south. It yeah. is. And, and when I when I managed clubs for the timber company that I worked for, we had some some monsters, and uh, we did set some limits on how many how many people they could have based off the number of acres they had um but i mean we had clubs with nearly 200 members mm-hmm. i'm like th- yeah. there's, there's you're no way, way better off hunting public land at that yes point. You, you are way i mean you, you may not think that but but you are there's way less pressure mm-hmm. uh on, on public land than there is on something like that right it's just not even close and so that we we went a long way around to say uh, we like you, chasing rabbits. Yeah, right? if you know, if you find a food source, and you're in a well-run club, and the weather's not right, and you know you've got bucks using it, make a conscious decision uh, to, you know, hey guys, nope, let's make an agreement that nobody's going in here and going to burn this spot. Mm-hmm. That's harder said than done. For I sure. mean, I would, I would say that it's the percentage go i think it would be in the single digits of clubs that would that would do that Mm -hmm. um but it's very important yeah it's very important and what were we talking about weather talking terrain terrain (laughs) terrain (laughs) and and food and you know food sources yeah and 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 trying not to not to burn them yeah uh because and that goes for terrain features too Mm -hmm. i mean i i grew up hunting southern tennessee north alabama in the Cumberland Plateau that you were talking about that was billy goat country. Yeah. And I may be a little biased. These guys that hunt in Jackson County, Alabama, all the time on Skyline WMA, they may say, hey, man, this place is hard to hunt. And and it can be. Um, you know, deer population is not what it once was, you know, in that part of the state. And uh, there's, there's reasons for that. I'd love to get into those one day. Mm. Um, but... To me, it's the easiest place to kill deer mm-hmm. or, because some of these terrain features, deer just can't navigate or they're not going to. Mm-hmm. They're lazy just like we are. And when you find these points that, that deer are using, they're using it, and they're using it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in Tennessee on the farm that, that we hunted, deer were going down into the bottoms in the evening. They were coming up going back to bed why is that why is that Mm -hmm. because all the food was in the bottom well i have a theory too no wind thermals thermals Mm -hmm. yeah um but there were a handful of trails that almost every single deer took Mm -hmm. i mean you could sit and I've, i've i've done it i've sat and seen over 70 deer in a day using one single trail going off the mountain into the bottoms Mm -hmm. and then you know the, the way we could access the property we could access it from either direction so we could be in front of the deer so in the mornings we could go up on top and they'd all filter back by and it was just you know that's just how i learned to hunt mm-hmm. and you know like i told you in the first episode we didn't have a lot of big deer but we had a lot of deer mm-hmm. so you know i killed a ton of deer just on very small terrain features that that i learned early on that by gosh if you find this on another piece of another piece of ground, it's going to work. Yeah, yeah, it's applicable to multiple. So that's, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, right. uh, and, and Matt touched on it. 
a lot of it is because of the way one deer are lazy they're like we are they're going to take path of least resistance 99 percent of the time uh, so they they found that path and then they were using the thermals to their advantage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes so, so like i grew up hunting two completely different habitat types we had the rolling hills over in western fett county and then we we hunted a property several hundred acres on the Sipsy River, and it was all flat. And when I say flat, I'm talking about you might have two to three feet of elevation change on the whole property. You're right. So they just go anywhere. Yeah, I mean those deer just go anywhere. Yeah, they, <laughs> you well, can't yeah. really use the terrain. Now you can use the water. Right. You know, you know and, nothing's coming from there. Right. But you know they'll swim. I've seen them swim the Sipsy River. Absolutely. I've watched them do it. So um, when I it took me a while to figure this out because when I was in high school, I didn't really pay much attention to anything other than I'm just going deer hunting. Just got to get out there right. know, as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Didn't pay any attention to the wind or anything like that. And I would get busted a lot. I'd get winded nearly every time I'd go hunting. And I started figuring out, wait a second, in the evenings, the cool air is dropping and it's dispersing all throughout this bottom where I'm trying to kill deer. And that's mm-hmm. why they're blowing at me. And I'm not hearing anything or not seeing deer. And then in the mornings, my thermals as the temperatures are rising are, are going up. So I use that to my advantage, especially uh, for morning hunts. Um, I don't worry if, if I've got a calm morning and hilly terrain, mm-hmm. I will try to get somewhere around 30 to 50% at the bottom of the slope. Mm-hmm. Because most of the deer are going to be feeding down there in the bottom anyway, heading back up to the hills. And I can slip in there, get set in. And because there's not really a defined wind direction or speed. Kind of swirls. Yeah. yeah, I'm just relying on those thermals to be lifting my scent. Mm-hmm. And it has been really successful. Now, you know, if you've got a 20-mile-an-hour wind, that's totally right. different. Sure. Yep. Uh, but in the afternoons, I try to do right the opposite. Yeah. I don't want to be up top and, you know, all my scent be going down in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, it's, it's, you can use terrain to your advantage. You just got to figure out where the deer are traveling and your access to and from has got to be, mm-hmm. you know, where you're not busting deer. And so right. many times people use the same trail for ingress, egress, oh, or yeah. going in, going out. Yep. Have more than one route to yes. get to a location. You know, we figured that out on, uh, there was a deer over on the lease one year that I hunted and I don't, I don't know that you hunted him because you, you never hunt. Um, <laughs> but it was me and Caleb and this particular deer, he had very beautiful sweeping beams, just a pretty eight point. And he'd be on camera every day, every single day in the same place, except for when I'd go in there and hunt. Well, there's only one way in. Right. Come yeah. to find out, I think the Joker was bedding down right by the road where I was parking mm-hmm. and he was slipping out when I got in there. Yeah. In the days that I didn't show up, he'd go through there. Yeah. Um, Using that terrain to his advantage to yeah. be able to get a absolutely. vantage point. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Uh, and I know we, we're kind of running a little long here than we normally do, but uh, this will be the last thing we cover. What about when you, we've already kind of talked about trails, but as far as deer sign, mm-hmm. right? We've talked about food. We've talked about kind of terrain, but now like if you see, you know, like I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is, how much value do you place on like droppings versus rubs and even scrapes this early in the year? Cause it's, I mean, 
I feel like Bucks will just scrape whenever. They just do it all the time. Oh, they do. As soon as, soon as they can. You know, as soon as velvet comes off, hey, they're in the rut. Right. I mean, yeah. People don't look at it that way, but that, I mean, that's. It's on a Bucks mind. It may yep. not, you know, the does are not going into estrus, but they're ready. Right. The Bucks are always ready. So I guess with that kind of, you know, being on the forefront of your mind, how much weight, you know, how much value are you placing on, oh man, I found a, a tree that was just shredded. Am I going to – does that necessarily mean you want to go hunt over that? Or does no, that no. mean, you know, or I found a pile uh, – I found four piles of droppings under this oak tree. Yes. Do I need to hunt mm-hmm. that? You know what I mean? Just I guess if you would just kind of maybe talk about someone who's trying to get into this thing and, and trying to be successful in early season, what what sign do you really need to look for and what do you need to place value on? The first thing I do if I find droppings is – Check and make sure they're moist. <laughs> yeah. I smell them. Yeah, I pick them up and smell them. Um, so if I find droppings, one, I want to know why is the deer feeding here? So locate that food source. Mm-hmm. Um, so the deer's either feeding there or it just got up from a bed more than likely. So, so you're saying that's most likely when they will dr- when they'll, they'll drop? They'll defecate, you know, after getting Because their bodies, you know, when they're laying down, everything slowed down when they get up and start moving around it's just like us yeah. you get up and get active you got to go to the bathroom gotcha. yeah, okay so you know when you wake up in the morning and you're like oh man you drink that pot <laughs> of coffee time, gotta, go, time go. To go okay <laughs> so you know they're not much different than us so when i locate drop or if i find droppings i want to locate the bedding where, where are the deer bedding where do they come from and if it's in close proximity to the bedding area i want to try to cut them off mm-hmm. before they get there if I have that option, that's great. You know, we've been talking about hunting over the food source. If I can cut them off before they get there, if I know where they're coming from, that's what I'd prefer to do because mm-hmm. you're not busting deer off that food source. You can kill deer on trails leading to or from a food source multiple times throughout a season mm-hmm. and not really ruin the place. Gotcha. But you can't hunt on top of a food source and kill multiple deer over and over and over and still have the same success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, droppings, I place a lot of um, importance on that. Find out what food source they're hitting, where they're bedding, try to cut them off. Mm. And, you know, that, that's probably one of the more important signs early season. Yeah. I don't I don't put a lot of stock in rubs. How about uh, – I just want to ask you the common question. Can you tell what sex no. it is? No, I'm not even getting – you, 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 you can't – so you're telling me you can't tell if it's a buck or a doe based off its poop? No. What about its foot, its footprint, its track? Nope. I've been wrong all these years. You're wrong about a lot of things. Jeremy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder how many times we had that question. I don't know, but, but granddaddy said. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. And now, don't get me wrong. If you come across, I guess, a track that's just. I mean, if you come across a three and a half inch long track, wildly, a doe didn't put it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A wildly larger track. Yeah. And I, I know some very successful hunters that, that use that. I mm-hmm. mean, they scout creek banks and roads and they look for the largest track they can find mm-hmm. and that's they figure out where it's coming and going why did it come through there and they're very successful mm-hmm. um but there's, just, I just there's not a there's no way to act no there's no one like guaranteed way to positive no absolutely no, not absolutely and, not. and we're asked that question a bunch or, or or you'll see posts of you know came across this buck track or look at this buck poop i ain't <laughs> No, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bust your guys' bubbles, but you're wrong. But now I will say this: does have a tendency to place their back mm. foot inside the track, inside the their front foot. Yep. 
So if you find a track that's replicating itself, it's more than likely a female deer. It's okay. a it's a gait. It's a yeah. body length yep. deal. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So um, you know, there's that, but um So like if you could rank them like we did earlier with the with the oaks yeah. and stuff, if you were to rank droppings versus rubs versus I found a you know, bed, you know, right. or like what are you if I find a single bed, I don't get worked up over that. If I find mm. a single rub, I don't care if it's as big as my thigh, I don't get worked up over that um spots can make big oh i've seen them do it so (laughs) what i look for and and unfortunately these are not skills that are learned nowadays because we have the technological advances that we do Mm -hmm. cameras cameras um but used to i would locate cluster rubs so there would just Mm be you know rubs in every direction all in one area perhaps even multiple bucks rubbing those trees Mm -hmm. And it was typically associated with a with a bedding area. Mm-hmm. So now, are we still talking about early season? Yes, we are. Yeah. If you can find and 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 beds too. Yes, in, if, in close proximity. Yes, if you can find droppings and cluster rubs and bedding all in an area that's in close proximity, hunt it, but carefully. Yeah, because gonna, you can bust those deer out. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, I've always just kind of been of the. Not that this is right or wrong, but just always been of the philosophy of like, if you find a bedding area, quote unquote, like get away, get out of there. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't go in there and, and you yeah. know, blow them out or anything. Well, so. and here's the thing about hunt, hunting the South, and this is what differentiates the South versus the Midwest. Deer down here can bed just about anywhere. Absolutely. They anywhere. can bed about anywhere. Um, and will. And, and they <laughs> will. So, you know, I kind of chuckle sometimes when somebody says, oh, I found a big buck bed. Well, you found one area where he has bedded maybe once. Mm-hmm. Has he ever bedded there before that time? We don't know. Will he ever bed there again? We don't know. Mm-hmm. He laid down one time. And, you know, he may very well bed back again. But mm-hmm. GPS data has shown that bucks around here – by they, they bounce around. They just bed wherever they want to. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you know it's not necessarily in the same place. But I, I mean that that reminds me of a buck that we had on the club that uh, bedded on the knob not too far off of our main road, mm-hmm. and we ended up the deer was shot is how we came across this. We never really we never knew this beforehand. Mm-hmm. The deer showed up in in certain places pretty consistently. Um, we, we knew, or we felt like we had an idea of where he was living, but we were pretty much just dead wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the deer was shot and we were, we were trailing him and, and you know, it's not a rule of thumb that they're going to go through their bedroom when they're shot, but sometimes they will. Mm-hmm. Um, but what Matt just described the cluster rubs and the, the handful of beds on a point on a terrain feature where that deer could see the bottom and could use the thermals to his advantage from the road and from the bottoms coming up. Mm-hmm. We felt very confident that that's where that deer, you know, was bedding mm-hmm. and he it, was very protected. There. Yeah. He, and it, it really wasn't anything but a blackberry thicket mm-hmm. on a little knob in, in some thin pine. So, you know, had it not been just eat up with blackberries, it'd have stuck out like a sore thumb. But he had him a little spot wallered out, or you know, four or five, mm-hmm. uh, just right there on that little ridge. And uh, there was there was no way really to get to him. And I, I don't, I think that they shot that deer in a rut, didn't they? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, all bets are off. You know, oh yeah, in that, the rut, that, all bets are off. But you know, point. same same type situation. 
for years on that same lease uh, before Jeremy got in. And this was before cameras, really. Um, there was a, an area, right? We had a sign-in box. We had more members than we do now. And it was one of those clubs mm-hmm. with, with multiple members. So we would go in and we would open the mailbox and sign out where we wanted to go hunt that morning or that afternoon. And that's where we'd go. And every time I'd pull in there, I noticed all these rubs, like right by the mailbox. <laughs> and they were big rubs. I'm talking like, you know, this big in the South, that's substantial, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I was like, how would I even hunt this? Like, there's so much traffic going. It's right on the road. And, um, you know, I never knew when somebody might be pulling there to sign in or out. And I just like, I'm, I'm going to take the risk one day. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to drive in just like I always do. I'm going to sign in for the mailbox. I'm going to back my truck about 150 yards down the road and run back up here and climb a tree. And that's what I did. I was 50 yards off the road. Killed 143-inch deer that morning. God. And none of those trees were ever rubbed again. You know, he had been rubbing those same trees for three or four mm-hmm. years. I don't, yeah. He aged out as four. I don't think he was four. Really? I, I think he was much older than that. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's something else we we'll talk about. We could talk. We, we could have episodes on yeah. the inaccuracies of <laughs> I, tooth wear aging. I, I'm I'm excited to talk about some stuff like that. Oh yeah, and yeah. tooth wear. Yeah, we're going to hit and, some stuff and, that's, and that's going to be putting all that information together. Mm-hmm. You know, because nobody ever really knows how old the deer is unless you know you're in a captive situation. You got a tag in his ear. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so you, you can know then. Um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> It's interesting what you learn year after year being on the same property mm-hmm. right. when it comes to terrain, food sources, and, and access. Yep. Uh, and once you learn a property, you'll notice, you know, I attribute a lot of my success being able to kill consistently kill mature deer is I've just learned over the years on this track of property, I can do A, B, or C and kill a mature deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have to scout. Because I've already put, the, I've already scouted. Well, you have to say you have scouted. Yeah, I, yeah. I did the scouting up front, and I I, I learned patterns over time. Mm-hmm. And that's where record keeping comes in. Absolutely, keep records, and I've got detailed records. Wind, weather, everything. I record certain weather parameters on every single hunt that I go on. Yeah, I, I, at minimum, I've got the date, the moon phase, which I don't think the moon has any cotton picking bearing at all on rut oh, timing oh no here we go zero yeah Ooh. all right so throw some gas on the fire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now does it affect deer behavior and deer movement i do think that it does and i'll i will get to a point where we'll go over some of what you mm-hmm. know the data that i've taken over the years has shown but um you know you got to you got to you got to take good records because you can begin to notice patterns and when you figure out what those patterns are, you'll start consistently killing deer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's with everything. Yeah. I mean, take notes on what you're planting, what fertilizer you're using, what herbicides you're using. Yeah. Take good records. Yep. Because you don't, you it's don't, going to save you time yeah, and money. You don't want to scratch your head next September, next August, and be like, oh, what, what did I spray this with? And how many ounces per gallon did I use? And, mm-hmm. you know, write all that stuff down. Because when you spray your clover with 2,4-D instead of 2,4-DB, mm-hmm. you've got record, and you go, why did my clover die? Yeah. You can look back and go, yeah, That's I'm why. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you, Matt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Butoxyethyl ester is not butyrac. And I knew that. 
I feel like I mean, he's just hurling obscenities at me and saying all these names. Well, I mean, you know, you've got all these different chemical compounds, and, <laughs> and you know, you've got 2,4-D and 2,4-DB. Well, 2,4-DB has got butyrac in it. Mm-hmm. Well, 2,4-D 2,4-D also has butoxyethyl ester. So mm-hmm. it was just a, a slip too, of the I'm mind. I'm too dumb to be on this podcast. Well, that's why you better read the label. <laughs> yes. If you apply I, herbicide, read if, the label. Yeah. If you're asking questions on Facebook, about what herbicide to use and how much, read the label. Read the label. <laughs> read the label. Absolutely. Well, that's cool, guys. Uh, I mean, I think that we've kind of covered a lot, uh, went a little longer than typical, but uh, it's good stuff, man. I, I think if you're out there and you're watching this or you're listening to us and you're trying to get kind of a little bit of a leg up on early season, um, this is kind of is what we're here for. It's what this podcast is kind of about. We're trying our best to – to just inform, educate um, those that are, are hunting the South, living in the South. I mean, uh, like we said before, this is not just a hunting podcast. Uh, this is going to cover a lot of different things. But um, this is the season we're in. Uh, getting, yeah. You know, we're gearing up. And we're excited about it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Super excited. So we've got some more stuff coming up, and we've actually got a very special guest that's going to come hang out with us. We're pretty dang excited about that too absolutely um so we won't quite let the cat out of the bag yet but uh, just uh, stay tuned you know uh follow us on social uh obviously on youtube if you're watching this we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe maybe share this with one of your hunting buddies or something like that because uh, we'd love to we'd love to educate as many as we can right cool yeah absolutely. absolutely all right guys uh, appreciate you guys hanging out with us and we will catch you on the next episode